It's time for the VolQuest podcast, where we dissect the biggest news items of the week. Good Tuesday, everyone. Welcome to the VolQuest.com podcast presented by our friends at Smoky Mountain Organics, East Tennessee's most trusted health and wellness store, focusing on natural products and organic remedies for a variety of ailments. That is Smoky Mountain Organics, four locations to serve you in East Tennessee, three in Sevier County, the location in Knoxville on Kingston Pike, just across from Trader Joe's. And of course, you can shop online at SmokyMountainOrganics.com. With Rob Lewis and Austin Price, I'm Brent Hubbs. Glad to have you along with us on this Tuesday installment of the VolQuest.com podcast. Let's start with some basketball where I guess, Rob, the best way to say this week is opportunity week for, for the Tennessee basketball team. Is that how you describe this week? I mean, last week was better take care of business, even though Mississippi State was on the road. You sort of had to get those. This week is much more uh, of a different challenge, but an opportunity for this basketball team, right? Huge opportunity, and not I mean, not even just this week. I mean, the close of the season. I mean, every coach in, in America that you know is trying to build a March resume would like to host two top five teams at home. You know, in the last two weeks of the season, like Tennessee has a chance to do with Kentucky and Auburn. I, I mean, I like Tennessee's chances against Kentucky on on Tuesday just because of the track record that Rick has in this building against them and. You know, I haven't seen anything definitive, but it sounds like Ty Ty Washington is not going to play with, after re-injuring an ankle on, on Saturday. I think Cal said he thought he'd be out for a week to 10 days. That certainly, I think, changes the dynamics in favor of Tennessee. And that, and that road trip to Arkansas, I mean, if if, if Tennessee wins that one, I, I would be really surprised because, I, I mean, Arkansas is playing well right now. They've won nine out of ten. They just they just about got Alabama on the road on, on Saturday. And – if you watched the Auburn game last week, that place was an absolute snake pit. And, Rob, if Tennessee were to beat Kentucky like you, you foresee, then Tennessee rolls in there with all kinds of momentum, and Arkansas has a real chance at that point to kind of pull back close to, you know, with them and, and Kentucky as they try to get one of those top four seeds to get the double bye. Yeah, I think those four teams, Tennessee, or start with Auburn, Kentucky, Tennessee, and Arkansas, I think they pretty much separated themselves as, as the four best in this league. I mean, Alabama is, is certainly capable, but they're, they're also just all over the board. I mean, with some of the, you know, losses to, to Georgia, to Missouri, you know, and at the, at the same time going the road and beat Gonzaga. So, I mean, that, Alabama is certainly formidable and, and capable of beating anybody in this league, but they've just been too inconsistent to, be, you know, be considered one of those top four. Who's not been inconsistent the last six games or so now is Tennessee, five games, whatever it is, Rob. Is this simply that they found something in that rally at Texas that it, that it clicked? I mean, is, is that oversimplification of why this team has suddenly, I don't want to say become an offensive juggernaut. They did not shoot the ball great against Vanderbilt. But but, is, but it was really those last seven minutes in Austin, Texans, that big of a deal for this offense? I mean, that, that's what the kids say. I mean, I kind of have to take them – at their word. I mean, that, I mean, anybody that's asked about it, I mean, they, they, they rattle that off. And, you know, I think, I personally think there's more to it than that, but I, th- I think that, I mean, I do think that gave them a blueprint and they, they certainly believe that I know Josiah, you know, b- believes that. And, um, but I, I think if you, if you talk to Rick, he thinks it's a kind of a sum of a lot of little things, which ball movement, which if you, I mean, that's, that, that passes the eye test. That's not hard to see. If you watch Tennessee the past few games, 
they are they are whipping the ball around. Passes are crisp. They're quick. The ball's not sticking in places. I, I think they're moving the defense, and I, I think guys are moving a lot better without the basketball. I think Santiago's been doing that all year. I think Josiah's gotten a lot better with that. Um, I think Kennedy is is understanding more and more, you know, how he needs to play. He didn't have a great game against Vanderbilt, but then, you know, shows up late and, and kind of seals the deal with, with, with three straight buckets in, in the last four minutes. So, um, I mean, the numbers don't lie. I mean, they scored 70-plus points two times in their first eight conference games, never more than 80. And the last four games, they, they've been over 70, you know, pretty easily. 91 game, 80, 81 another. So they pretty clearly have figured something out. Why do you think the sixth man is seemingly, particularly a guard, is seemingly – been so important for for Rick Barnes. I mean, you go back and look and at, at Lamonte Turner when he accepted the role as a six man and, and what it meant for that Tennessee team. And, and you look at what Zakai Ziegler is doing, uh, what I would consider a sixth man role. Obviously, not a starting role. He's on the floor at the end of the game. Why do you think that role seems to be so important for, for Rick Barnes' program? I, I don't really think it's the role. I think it's the players. I mean, I, I mean, I think, I mean, I think it's the individuals. I mean, I think Lamonte and he's not him and Zakai are different, but they're sure. both both hardcore kids. I mean, just big time competitors, big, you know, really mentally tough. And um, I mean, I, I think they both embrace that role. I mean, I, I, I think Zakai. I mean, I, I was a big fan of Lamonte, had a ton of respect for him, but to be a freshman and do doing what Zakai is doing, I mean, I, I think he is making more of an impact than even Lamonte did because I mean it. It, he really changes things, and and on both ends of the floor, not just knocking in a couple of threes. I mean, he is an absolute menace defensively. I mean, I bet guys hate playing against that kid. In in any sport that that you've covered, and, and Rob, you've covered Tennessee for a long time. Austin, you have as well. Zakai Ziegler is the best story since what? Who? G- given given the history that we know now, right? I mean, we had the podcast with him on Monday. Everybody's aware of his story you know, late ad, you know, kind of, you know, you find somebody late overcoming a lot of odds, best story you've covered since who? I mean, I've, Grant Williams is a pretty good one. I mean, he chose Tennessee over Yale. I mean, he grew up in the heart of ACC country in Charlotte and didn't have a single ACC offer. Um, and, you know, ends up being a two-time conference player of the year and a first-round draft pick. So I, I, maybe I, I, I'd go back to that. What's that, six years? When, from a basketball standpoint, like two guys that arrived at January that you didn't expect to have an impact, you know, and, they, and those teams didn't go very far. But Jarnell Stokes had an impact on that team arriving in January from Memphis. And then Biscovy did the same thing a couple of years ago, um, just when Tennessee needed something. That team ended up that season got cut short by COVID. Um, so it's it's not the same. But, I mean, like just the fact that, you know, when you're sitting there, when the calendar rolled to July – you never thought anything about this kid and yet here we are, you know, half a year later and he is, you know, just as important to Tennessee's success as Kennedy Chandler or Vescovy or anybody else. I mean, you know, and, and kind of has that, like, you know, that kind of fan favorite feel to him, but, you know, he and, you know, cause you guys are comparing him to Lamonte, both of those guys can score and brought a certain level of swagger to the floor. You know, I I think that's the thing is, you know, you have to be a scorer or you have to have some swagger. Like, 
you know, Jamal Crawford, when he was that sixth man in the NBA for all those years, he could score the basketball. You know, Lamonte and Zakai have a certain swagger to me when they enter the game. There's a certain self-belief with both those kids that not every kid has. So I think to play in that role, you've got to um, play a certain way. Um, I don't think just anybody can do that six-man role and have success. No, I mean, you have to, you have to certainly accept it, and, and you have to certainly – you know, buy, buy into it. And obviously, Zakai Ziegler has done that. I mean, if you're talking across all sports, his story reminds, I mean, it's a little bit of an Inky Johnson type story from the standpoint he's undersized. Um, you know, the standpoint of his background, you know, growing up is not the easiest background. Um, and, and immediate commands attention from his teammates, uh, you know, immediately ha- has gotten uh, their respect a- out of the gates. And, and I-, I think it's a great story. And I think what he's done is, is unbelievable. Um, Rob, it's been a long time since somebody shot over 50% from the three point line for three straight weeks. And that's essentially what Zakai has done for the last six games. I think he's 56% or something like that from the three point arc. Um, yet it never feels like he takes a bunch of bad shots. I don't think he takes hardly any bad shots. Very, very rarely. I mean, he doesn't force anything. You see, I mean, he, and, and I think he's a perfect example of being the beneficiary of the way Tennessee is moving the basketball. Because I think so many of his come, you know, after the ball has you know been on both sides of the floor, the defensive move, maybe somebody has, has driven in, maybe it's off an offensive rebound. But, I mean, I – he doesn't take very many contested or forced shots at but all. Does anybody on this team, Rob, take bad shots? Because, I mean, like, I think a year ago you would have said Victor Bailey because he just would volume shoot. Um, but, I mean, you look at, you know, Kennedy Chandler doesn't probably shoot enough for, for you know, the quality shooter that he is. Zakai, you just mentioned. Vescovy, I don't think he takes bad shots. And he needs to, you know, shoot as much as he can. Um, and and with, especially with the way Josiah has played lately, not being so dependent on the three and, and driving. I mean, are they at a point where now, like, you feel like they are a, a team that they're all taking quality shots? There's not anybody volume shooting. Yeah, I think for the most part, I think that's really accurate. And ironically, a guy, I would probably say Josiah probably took a few bad ones on Saturday, but they're the ones that we've been begging for him to take where he did drive it into the paint. And, you know, and I thought I thought he took a couple, you know, mid-range after he put the ball on the floor where he, where he did kind of force it, but – you know, I, I wouldn't quibble with that because, again, we everybody has been begging him to put it on the floor and get into the paint and, and, and take, you know, be aggressive like that. But, no, I, I think that's one of his team's strengths is shot selection. But I also – and I've, I've, I'm not the only person that said this. I know Rick said it. Sometimes I think – and they've been better about it these last four games. But uh, sometimes I think they, they get – when they get in those ruts, I think they're hunting for perfect shots instead of taking pretty good shots early in the shot clock and they end up, you know, putting their backs against the wall and, and, and getting in a bad spot late in the clock. Rob, did it take, has it taken this team longer to, to get the, the, a jail or, or get a chemistry and a rhythm on offense because the, the bench has been deeper uh, all year long compared I to what think, I mean, normally plays? I mean, I don't know that, that for sure, but I think so. I mean, don't you Hopper? I mean, they, they played 11 guys in the first half on Saturday. Well, I still think it's too much. I mean, I don't I mean, he wants to reward Victor Bailey, and I respect Rick for that because Bailey is such a hard worker, such a good teammate. But, I mean, I don't know that he's really earning minutes right now. And, I mean, back in November, I would have thought Justin Powell was destined to play a big, big role on this team, but he just hasn't. 
I mean, Rick's going to continue to play him. I mean, that, that much is apparent. But he's, I mean, he's essentially just stopped looking for a shot to me. And and Frank, the two young kids, Hatfield and and Adu, I would have played him more. I, I don't understand why Rick only played Jonas four minutes on Saturday. I thought he I thought he was pretty productive in the first half, and then didn't get back in the game. And and Huntley Hatfield is just, I mean, he's just like a baby giraffe on on ice right now. I mean, you can tell. I mean, you, you can see the pieces, but he's just he's just not put it together yet. But I, I believe that if Tennessee's going to do anything in March, if they're, they're going to make it to the second weekend, those, those guys are going to have to have to do something. And those guys will be challenged Tuesday night against Kentucky. Oh, um, big. Big, big, big time challenge here. John Fulkerson has played better, um, you know, in spurts the last couple of ball games. But, but Rob, I mean, in, in the post, this one's, this one's going to be challenging for Tennessee. I mean, you can see Oscar Sheway coming in here having, you know, 29 and 20. That wouldn't, that wouldn't surprise me. If he does that, and you know, I've I've talked about it, written about it. Tennessee's undefeated in SEC play when they out rebound the, the competition, and they've only won one game when they lost the battle of the boards, and that was Mississippi State when they shot sixty one percent from the field in the second half, which raises a lot of covers up a lot of mistakes. And they may so, have to shoot that way, you know. They may have to do to Kentucky what Kentucky did to them as far as shooting Tuesday. Yeah, I mean, it, I, it's oversimplified, but I mean, I, it, Tennessee can't get beat up on the boards. They can't, like, they, I mean, Vanderbilt's not the most physical or biggest team in the league, but Tennessee crushed them on the glass on Saturday. Tennessee had 17 second chance points. And I don't, I don't know that they're going to be capable of getting 17 against Kentucky, but they can't let, they can't let Kentucky get 15, 16, 17 second chance points on them. How much better, for all the talk of Tennessee's offense and its improvement there, do you feel like Tennessee's a better defensive team playing Kentucky this this next time than they were? Yeah, I mean, I th- their defense was good when they went up there. Kentucky shot it well, but Tennessee gave up a lot of drives to, to the basket. How much better is Tennessee defensively from that game? I think they miss Olivier in this game. This, I mean, the young kids just I don't think they're ready for the level of physicality that I mean they maybe maybe they prove me wrong. They maybe Huntley Hatfield and and, and do you know, go in there and, and, and mix it up and hold the road. But I, I think you're really going to miss Olivier in this matchup. Well, it's he, gonna... I mean, he, he knows how tough it is. And he's, you know, he knows the, exactly how you're going to have to bring it in a game like this. And I don't think, I don't think the two youngsters do. Yeah. Foul trouble will be key, particularly in the backcourt. Tennessee's got to be smart. Muscovy cannot, cannot get in foul trouble like he was the other night. Uh, that fourth foul at midcourt was just a, you can't make that play there and, Put yourself in that situation to get that call. Uh, so that's going to be key. We know Thompson Bowling Arena is going to be rocking with a sellout crowd as Kentucky comes to town. Uh, we'll see if Tennessee's um, good play on the offensive end can continue a- against a good Kentucky team that might be shorthanded. We'll see exactly what Kentucky's roster looks like uh, coming up later tonight. We'll have full coverage of Tennessee and Kentucky, uh, obviously throughout today, today and tonight. Uh, with the Wildcats in town. Let's flip it right quick, Austin, to um, a, a couple of football things. Um, Josh Heupel, his staff back in the office, this is all about getting ready for spring practice. This is all about a self-scout. It's all about figuring out what you need to do better. I mean, that's really the investment. There's certainly recruiting stuff going on, but a lot of this investment right now is all about self-scouting, isn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, you're, you're working on your plan for spring, you're dabbling and looking ahead to fall and you're honestly taking a look back at last year and where they can be better, whether it's operationally, whether it's, you know, 
uh, recruiting visits, whether it's game day planning, whether it's, you know, how they handled game day, whether just everything. I mean, you, the, the whole month of February, because it's dead, allows you one to get a little time off, you know, because, you know, uh, the, these college coaches work insane hours, seven to nine and all that nonsense. Um, but, you know, two, it allows them to, you know, kind of do a deep dive on themselves and kind of figure out what worked, what didn't work, how can we be better uh, in a number of different areas from game day to, you know, throughout the week. Rob, biggest question that needs to be answered in spring. We'll talk about this a lot as spring practice gets ready to get started. But if you're Josh Heupel and you've done your self-scout from last year and you're heading into spring practice, what what's your what's your top question or your top two questions? Maybe you don't get a full answer from them in spring, but you got to have some direction coming out of spring practice with that. I think receiver depth chart and and the two deep on the offensive line is probably for me. Austin, I think it's continuing to find answers in the secondary, um, offensively. I, I'm with Rob. I think it's receiver. I think you've got to see some guys step up, whether that's guys taking a step off of last year, whether that's some of these true freshmen showing you that they belong enough to warrant a, a deep, hard look, you know, early in August. Um, you know, I, I think the offensive line is an interesting dynamic. Uh, you know, we had Darnell Wright out on the locker room uh, Sunday, and he mentioned to me that, you know, he'd like to actually move back to right tackle. Feels like he can be better at right tackle than he is at left. And he had a really good year at left tackle. So, which begs the question, you know, if Tennessee goes and they were to get a Tyler Steen or whoever, does that person become the left tackle and Darnell moves to the right tackle spot? Because it sounds like Darnell is very comfortable with that move if if that's the case. That's, a, that's an interesting de- decision from Darnell, an inter- interesting discussion from, from Darnell. Um, are we in a world of college football where the skill guy is the bigger question mark than the, than the offensive lineman? Because let's face it, I mean, five years ago, six years ago, Rob, if somebody was said you're looking for your, your second or third receiver or you're looking for a starting tackle, the biggest question, the biggest priority is the starting tackle. And, and I mention this because the Cincinnati Bengals draft Jamar Chase and get to the Super Bowl with a bad offensive line. Are, are we in the world of football where it is truly more about finding that those skill guys than it, than it is finding a great offensive lineman? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I really haven't thought about it, Hubbard, but I, I think you're probably right. I mean, if you you think about the impact and, and that those yeah, – there aren't many Jamar Chases out there, don't get me wrong, but the impact that those guys have. I mean, look at what Cedric Tillman did last year. In this offense, I mean, was he other than the quarterback spot? Was he not the most impactful guy on the team or on, on the offense at least? I mean, I, you know, there's probably some degradations in there. I mean, you can't just be terrible on the offensive line, but I mean, I think if you are just okay there, then it's more important to find a, a skill guy that can be explosive and, and special. So, Austin, you can mask the offensive line easier than you can mask a, a, a lack of a skill guy. I agree. I really believe that, you know, I mean, I, because if you have a mobile quarterback, you know, yeah, you don't got to protect point. forever. <laughs> but, but if you can't get out, if you can't, if you don't have guys that can get open, no matter how good your offensive line is, you know. And, I, and 
And, and you know what? Maybe it's always been that way, right? A great running back can mask, can mask a, a suspect offensive line. You know, a great quarterback masks everything. Well, it's the most important position. Yeah. You know? I mean, I mean, it's it's you, you don't you don't win at any level without good quarterback play. No, nobody's. I mean, the Bengals advanced out of the second round of the playoffs to go play the Chiefs because the Titans got poor quarterback play. That's the reason. That's the reason the Bengals advanced is because the quarterback play for the Titans wasn't good enough to advance. So yeah, I mean, like look, look at Georgia. Everybody talks about Georgia's defense. But, like, Stetson Bennett was really good. I mean, is he as talented a quarterback as they're in college football? No. But, like, when you don't make mistakes, you get the ball out on time and you're smart and, and you throw it well enough, you know, that that's good enough, you know. And, and there's enough of a help along the offensive line at Georgia and a help, enough of a help with the running game at Georgia to where you don't have to be, you know, a 10 out of 10 at quarterback, you know. And Stetson Bennett didn't have to be 10 out of 10 at quarterback. No, and, and, and again, he made, when he had to make a play, he made a play, and, and that's what the quarterback position is certainly all about. So Tennessee self-scouting, Tennessee uh, working out in their off-season program. We'll continue to have notes on that in the war room. We'll continue to, to give you tidbits about those guys uh, along the way as we've done. On the recruiting front, Austin, it's all about continuing to look at the transfer portal. Uh, that Tennessee has been out offering a few kids as well as their board seems to grow and, and not surprising, you know, at this time of year. Um, but it's just maintaining kind of your relationships and where you are till you can get back out on the road or they can get to your campus in March, right? Correct. I mean, that, that first weekend in March is going to be big. Um, you know, Tessie's hoping to get Tyler Steen here then from a transfer portal standpoint. Um, Tessie would love to get that kid. You know, there's no two ends and ifs and buts about it. I mean, it's, it's, it's a position where Tennessee could use some help. Um, you know, Tennessee's going to, you know, have several really good quality players here that first weekend in March for their junior day. Um, but uh, this is a situation where Tennessee's going to, you know, take a long, hard look at several guys that are in the portal, especially ones that go in after spring or during spring, um, you know, and we'll see where Tennessee goes from there. But, you know, Tennessee knows they got they, they can officially be active in the portal or more active than just a couple of spots. Um, coming up here, you know, in, in the next couple of months, and I expect them to be. Yeah, there's no doubt that that's what they have to do. And again, continue to evaluate, continue to look at. Looks like it's going to be a sled load of running backs in town for Junior Day. Uh, if all those guys come in, it seems like Jerry Max got his whole board um, coming in for Junior Day at the running back position. Uh, we'll continue to, to give you some names throughout the war room as well, but a, a handful of names, several names that we posted in the war room last week, uh, some big time talent. Scheduled to be in. We'll see what happens if all those guys get here. We know some of that can't happen. Uh, Rob, Brian Harson is still the coach at Auburn. How surprised, <laughs> how surprised are you? And if you're Auburn, how do you even sell that to anybody at this point? I mean, I don't know. It's, I mean, I, it's, it's one of the craziest things. I mean, we've seen a lot of crazy stuff here. It's probably not crazier than the, uh, the brief but um, flamboyant Mike Price era in, in Tuscaloosa. <laughs> It's just been wild, man, to, to see all that smoke, um, you know, for the last two weeks, and then that he's apparently going to survive it. And I don't know how you move past it over. I mean, I had to, th- I had to think that it's. I mean, there has to be some fresh relationships down there on the plains. It would be a very tough work environment. I would and, and you've had mass exodus, Rob. Your quarterback isn't as strong as what you were a year ago. You don't have um, an OC. You don't have. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I, it just yeah. doesn't make any sense. Like. I mean, unless they felt like they were that he was going to be able to sue them for, you know, 
some type of wrongful termination. Like, it makes no sense to keep him because, I mean, how are you going to have any kind of legs to stand on in recruiting? Like, it's, every school is going to hammer you the way they did Tennessee about the investigation last year with, you know, hey, they brought him back. But, I mean, they, they did an investigation on, on your head football coach in February. He ain't going to be back past next year, guys. There's no point to even look at Auburn. I mean, that's going to be the, the common pitch from every school recruiting against the Tigers. And it should be, just like it was used against Tennessee last year. So, I mean, you're not doing your job if you're if you're a coach and you're not using that against Auburn uh, in, in the current realm of recruiting. You know, Rob, I, I've, I felt like the biggest mistake, Look, you know, and I didn't follow it, at, you know, every five minutes the way it was going. But the fact that the university president came out and was so um, – clear cut, transparent, if you will, and what they were doing, you know, we're looking into this. We'll have a, we'll have a resolution soon. I mean, he kind of backed Auburn into, into a corner and having to make a decision, you know, I mean, you couldn't let it linger on for weeks upon weeks that he was under investigation. Uh, Auburn was almost too forthright from the president's office and kind of what they were doing, backing themselves into a corner that they had to make a choice. He's either staying or going. I mean, you, you couldn't, you couldn't let it ride out any longer because you were almost too open about stuff. Yeah, I mean, when Bruce Pearl is the least controversial coach of a major sport on your campus, you got issues. <laughs> well, and we'll see what happens with Auburn. I mean, who knows what spring practice is going to look like down there? Um, who's going to come see them from a recruiting standpoint? And uh, that they've got a lot of challenges ahead of them. That was certainly a wild story that uh, did not um, did not end the way most people covering that team and covering that program thought it was going to end the tennis i can't believe it didn't happen here what's that we didn't have a. I can't, we, we I can't believe yeah if it was gonna if, if something like that was gonna happen i can't believe it didn't happen in knoxville and, and you had to, you had to deal with it no i mean i'll say this tennessee's had their moments and they've had their their, their storylines that uh have, have gotten them national attention but you think about the this deal with auburn and then the fact that bobby petrino years ago interviewed in the middle of the night um you know, with that deal was just um, – and all that mess that was going on there was crazy. Auburn always makes it interesting. That, that, that is for sure. Tennessee baseball team gets the first pitch underway on Friday. Uh, we'll have a, a sit-down with Tony Vitello coming up on Wednesday. Uh, continue to get you ready for Tennessee baseball coming up on Friday afternoon as the volunteers get their season started. The outdoor porches are done. Uh, the bleachers along the left field uh, line are done. That's a nice, nice little environment that they're continuing to create. It's in slow increments, Austin. It's not just a, you know, demolition and restart, but uh, they've done some things and continue to do some things to make that uh, a, a more imposing venue for opponents uh, who are coming to town. Should be a fun, fun spring. I know Tony Vitello is looking forward to it, isn't he? Yeah, and, and when we sit down with Tony for the for the one-on-one uh, video interview that we'll run tomorrow. Um, you know, he talked about how their program kind of mirrors their stadium, you know, you know, enhancements. You know, it's not been boom. It's kind of been this gradual build. And, um, you know, you, you can start to see the changes in the program. You can see the changes in the stadium. And, um, you know, he, he's, he really likes this pitching staff. He's got some young guys he really likes. Um, and, and we'll be interested to see, you know, um, if, if they can rise to the challenge with Blade Tidwell out. You know, um, and, and, you know, if they can rise to the challenge, as he points out in the interview, when you get Tidwell back, that's like getting a, a, a you know, a free agent signing midseason or you're getting a, somebody at the trade deadline. I mean, it's a, it's a big deal. 
Yep. So how this young pitching staff, how some of these young players um, handle things at the start of the season and they can build this team together. Uh, we start that watch on Friday as this baseball team gets underway. Ben McKee will have plenty of baseball coverage. Again, we've got our sit down with Tony Vitello coming up uh, tomorrow. But tonight it's about Tennessee and the Wildcats as Kentucky comes to town. And we've got full coverage of Tennessee basketball coming up throughout the rest of the day and coverage of the game tonight. That's going to do it for this Tuesday edition of the VolQuest.com podcast presented by our good friends at Smoky Mountain Organics. For Rob Lewis and Austin Price, I'm Brent Hubs. Thanks for joining us. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, everybody. You've been listening to the VolQuest podcast every week here on VolQuest.